Hi, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Stranova, a bi-weekly audio business program exploring the intersection of cutting-edge business strategy and the innovations that can ignite business growth. As an entrepreneur with over 30 years experience leading high-tech organizations, I've constantly sought out new ideas that could take business to an entirely new level of performance. For Stranova, I've invited some of the most innovative business leaders out there and asked them to share their ideas with you. So sit back, listen, and consider what some of these new thoughts might mean to your business as we begin this week's episode of Stranova. Can anyone truly have it all? You've probably heard that question before, and more than likely it was in the context of balancing work and life. For this episode of Stranova, however, let's step back and consider this question more broadly as it applies to all that humankind does on this planet. At the same time that we create enterprises that, to varying degrees, provide useful products for their customers, plus revenue for business partners and profits for their stockholders, we also create byproducts, sometimes intended and sometimes not, that can impact not only their local communities, but the entire world as well. More often than not, we plan the first part of that, the business side, with careful consideration of all the stakeholders. But the second part of that, the byproduct side, is considered in a far less thorough manner. And yet, all at the same time, it is becoming more apparent every day that we need to partner more with nature as a true co-creator in all of our actions, including how we go about our business in every step of life. To help us understand how this might work, in this episode of Stranova, we've invited Pamela Mang and Ben Haggard of the Regenesis Group of Santa Fe, New Mexico, to talk about their unique approach to this new form of systemic thinking, balancing our human drive to build and create with the wondrous power and regenerative energies that nature can offer up from its side of the partnership. This is about more than site planning. It's about changing the entire nature, if you'll excuse the pun, of how we as humans think and act as co-creators on the world stage. Pamela and Ben, welcome to Stranova. Thank you, we're delighted to be here. Thanks, Brad, it's fun to be here. Perhaps a good way for us to get started is to talk a little bit about how you begin work with your clients. At Regenesis, you provide resourcing to help guide clients as they develop living systems, the interaction of people, our human creations, and nature. How do you get started on these kind of endeavors with your clients? What kind of approach do you use to connect with them and their projects? Well, ordinarily, it's helpful to see what it is they're trying to develop. We work uh, with clients on the development of land, generally. Um, and the kind of development ranges anywhere from, you know, classic development, building buildings on it, to developing a national park or developing a farm or developing an estuary. Um, and so uh, it's helpful to have a feel for both what the client is aspiring to do and what the site is like. Um, and then what we do is uh, almost immediately work with the client to help them see potential that they weren't seeing before through seeing this as a living process, seeing it as a living system that's evolving over time. And that, that's usually the starting point. I think just to weigh in on that, the, the notion of creating a living system is probably pretty 
key to what we do. Most people who start on working on a development have those, at least those who come to us, have some pretty good aspirations about wanting to do something that's sustainable, wanting to do something green, ecologically appropriate. But what they're focusing on is a set of things that carry out a particular set of functions. And so they try to reduce the ecological impact of those things and functions and or functions. But most of us are not trained to think in terms of systems, let alone living systems, that have their own capacity to continue to evolve and to regenerate the spirit and capability for generating life within themselves. So one of the first things that shifts for a client is they move from seeing a collection of things that deliver a set of functions to seeing themselves entering into creating a whole new system for life that is going to continue to evolve in ways that are far beyond what they their highest thinking could even envision at the beginning. So I'm guessing that you probably challenge your clients quite a bit, especially when they're brand new to this kind of a process. I would say it's not so much a challenge, uh, it, it comes to be that in time, as more um, a jump in spirit. Because, as Ben said, when we sit down and start to work with them, either with seeing the place that they're, they want to move into and inhabit, or looking at their own aspirations for a project, we try to work with them in the way that suddenly they're able to see whole new arenas of potential. And without fail, when we are sitting and meeting with a client in dialogue around that, you can literally feel the energy lift in the room when they hit that point where it's like a whole new horizon opens up. Then the challenge starts, but at that point, the challenge is coming from within because having experienced that new horizon of potential for the significance of what they're doing, for the contribution to larger um, systems and communities, then they are on a path where they're continuously challenging themselves to keep becoming more creative in the solutions they're coming up with. Let's get a little bit more specific then. What are some of the systems that you and your clients start looking at as you're beginning your plan for a project? When we're looking at the site as a system, we're trying to understand it as a living organism. And the site, mind you, might be someone's lot you know, that they're planning to build a house on. It might be an entire urban area, or it might be an entire state or nation. So, you know, the scale uh, will determine sort of what kind of influences and forces that we're looking at. But what we try and understand is how this place is distinctive from any other place. And there are a lot of different things that go into that. Uh, the underlying geological structure of the system, the influences of climate, the influences of forces like wind, solar energy, fire, underlying hazards like earthquakes or hurricanes. All of those go into shaping the distinctive nature of a place, whether it's a, you know, a small site or a very large one. And then human influence, the history of human occupation of the site, how human beings have adapted to all of those natural forces, and then in their turn have shaped them. 
Let me give you an example that's kind of a fun one. We worked for a while on a river system that flowed into the Chesapeake Bay. And one of the things that um, we discovered fairly early on is that human presence in that landscape had started during the last ice age before the Chesapeake Bay even existed as a bay. And as the polar ice melted and sea levels rose, the rivers that had run through that system backed up and formed the bay. Well, at the same time that that warming process and the creation of an estuary system was happening, human beings were developing the practice of burning the forests to maintain them at a certain level of succession. And it was the interaction between the rising of the waters and the burning of these forests to change the pH or alkalinity of the soils and the water flowing into the bay that created the optimal conditions for one of the richest estuary systems, one of the richest sources of life on the planet. And so this interaction between human influence and natural forces created an ecosystem that far exceeded would have happened with what would have happened without the presence of human beings there. Knowing this gives us not only insight into that particular system, but it gives a kind of sense of hope about what human beings can be doing in these large ecological systems that we are having such an influence on. I'd like to just jump in for one piece of that, and it's going back to where Ben started, which is getting to know the place that you're trying to develop or inhabit is a living system or a living being. If you think about the people that we really care deeply about, are usually we have a pretty good sense of how they work in the world what their character is, and as a result of that, frequently through observation, interaction over time, we're able to engage with them in a way that really helps bring out their essence and what they're trying to do, as well as our own in those engagements. And in interpersonal relationships, that kind of relationship further grows the sense of mutual caring and support. You can transport that same underlying principle to land, to place. And if we can really understand how place works and in many ways sort of gain a sense of awe about the kind of thing that that Ben was just describing so that it's more than just our senses being pleased by a physically aesthetic surround, we actually deeply understand what makes that place what it is and where it's going or wants to go, and we can join with it as a result of that. Well, there's another aspect of your business that actually goes back to even the name of it, Regenesis. And this is a hot topic in a lot of things, everything from business to ecosystems. How does the concept of regeneration play into how you go about your business? A living system is living because it has the capacity to generate life. It comes into being because it is, it is generated by another system. Or, or combination of systems that have the possibility to do it, whether it's a, a seed from an, ac- uh, an acorn from an oak tree or an actual community that's generated out of the envisioning of a group of people. The, the issue then becomes what's the capacity of that system to continue to create new sources of life, to regenerate And a system that does not have a regenerative capacity 
to be able to continuously generate new sources of life, especially when we live in a continuously evolving environment, is the minute it's born in a state of decline. So one of the things that we start looking at immediately and focusing on is not just healing a natural system. One of the things that's become a, a movement that very strongly now is re restoration or restorative development, where development is aimed at healing and bringing back to some this determined or predetermined state of what would be the ideal health of, a, of an ecosystem. And that's fine as far as it goes, but it, it then, again, you've, you've left it in a state where it's beginning to go into decline unless you add to your thinking, what is next, how did this system originally continue to regenerate life? Because if it was a living system, it had that capacity. What's broken in it now? What are the connections that are lost? What are the resources that are pouring through it that it can't absorb and that are overwhelming its systems? We ask a lot of questions like that. And that applies to human systems as well as to natural systems. As we begin to get a handle of that, you can begin to see where the development can work, the purpose in, in some ways of that development for being there where it can work in order to start to restore that capacity to this new system that is now a combination of the social system and physical structures humans have brought in and the natural communities that existed there before. One of the things that I have observed is that when people come in, if, for example, we come into a landscape and begin to intervene in a way that restores that system back to health, the landscape changes. Uh, it, it's inevitable. It begins to, processes come back into the landscape that we may not even have taken into account or consideration when we set out to restore it. A really obvious example of that is when you restore the grasslands of the western part of the U.S., fire becomes a really important determining factor. So if you're developing communities within a landscape that is, is increasing its capacity to carry and its need to carry a fire, uh, you now have a whole new set of conditions. And that requires that the community that you're working with think in new ways, that is, it needs to regenerate its thinking about who it is in that landscape. It's no longer simply coming in and trying to fix something that was broken. It now needs to enter into a new relationship. And what I observe is where people are not engaged in regenerative process, that is, thinking anew, uh, they tend to try and manage this new phenomenon, in the case that I'm using a fire, they try and manage it as a problem and often in the process undermine a lot of what they, they set out to do in the first place. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Hi, we're talking to Pamela Mang and Ben Haggard of the Regenesis Group on the subject of living systems design. 
Hamlin, Ben, as you look at your staff, it sounds to me like the Regenesis group has to have a pretty incredible group of skills in order to pull off even one of these projects. Can you tell us a little bit about your organization and some of the skills that are present within it to make this possible? Well, what we've done is, um, over the years that Regenesis has been working, is bringing together a number of different technologies and marrying them in a way that uh, makes it possible to deal with the full breadth of what our clients' needs are. So, for example, one uh, branch of that is uh, an eco-design system called permaculture. It's more than a system. It's a whole sort of way of living that's developed out of Australia. And so a number of the people who are in Regenesis came out of a very early uh, pioneering position in that field as teachers, as designers, as planners, and they've come to Regenesis from that dimension. Another uh, stream that we've brought together is technology for developing systemic thinking, living systems thinking, that came more out of the corporate applications. And the two of them together joined in a way that enable us to not just work with the extrinsic, the actual systems designs that are eco, uh, ecologically based, but also begin to build the capability, as Ben uh, described, to actually enable people to regenerate their own thinking in ways that they're able to see the systems they're engaging with, the systems that need to be brought into being as a result of the potential that they want to realize in a place. We also have uh, people who have brought backgrounds in community planning, indigenous uh, community planning, which is a different branch of planning that draws from the whole concept of indigeneity and land-based worldviews. And we also have a backgrounds in looking at the regeneration of urban communities and what's involved in working with that. Everyone who comes into Regenesis comes in with some kind of background in the design and planning profession, but then uh, collectively what we're working on is this thinking technology work. Because a lot of why we formed Regenesis came out of our frustration over the years in designing very sophisticated living systems for clients who did not have the capability to actually either implement them or manage them once they were created. And so we went back about 10 years ago, we went back to the drawing board and said, look, the most critical thing we need to work on is helping our clients be able to think the way that we do. So we're working on developing the client system at the same time that we're working on developing designs so that the designs being delivered into a client system, they can actually handle them, can actually use them. So taking the regenesis metaphor a step further, as you're developing your clients, I'm sure you're also working on developing yourselves as individuals and as an organization. How do you go about that, and, and what is the learning edge for your group? Great question, because that is uh, absolutely at the heart of what has brought together this sort of motley crew of, of we call ourselves, regenerates is a deep hunger to continue to develop our ability to understand what we're working with, to contribute, to be of more significance. And so we 
consciously use every session that we come together in within the company for planning or designing an interaction with a client to work at two levels. One level is the actual work on the project. What are, what are we seeing is needed for the next interaction with the client? What do we need to bring into it in order to do that? And at the same time, we're looking at how are we thinking about this? How have we been thinking about it? Where are the new frontiers that we need to start to explore our thinking out into in order to be of greater assistance here? And that kind of dual cross-tracking process is, runs all through what we do at Regenesis. One of the major and constant growing edges has to do with developing this ability to see into a system, dynamic system, and actually understand what lies behind what's being structured in that system, uh, either in terms of the thinking of a client system or the thinking of a natural system. And it's a constant challenge. It's definitely something that requires the dialogue of a group of people focused on it. Uh, it's not something that I would be able to do on my own. It's the ongoing conversation that goes on within the company that allows us to distinguish ourselves with regard to being able to do that nature of thinking. One of the things that's core to our work is, as a capability is pattern literacy and pattern generation. And so as a part of that, one of the things that we're constantly trying to do, too, is to see the pattern in the changing environment around us regarding sustainable development and trying to read that for its evolutionary trends. And that is the source then of what are the patterns we need to generate in our own capability and in our clients. For example, one of the things we're seeing now in the nature of clients that have been coming to us over the last year and a half really is indicating to us that the next stage of real challenge for those of us who are trying to work in this field is going to be, it's like a backwards migration where we've seen people for some period of time moving from rural areas into urban areas. Now we're seeing, especially in the Southwest, people moving out from those urban areas in part because they can work long distance, in part because they're baby boomers retiring early, looking for a different step down in pace. But there's, there's a number of, of developments that are beginning to be planned on the boards or already being built next to small semi-rural towns and communities. These are towns and communities that are already struggling because economically many of them are on the edge of bankruptcy if not already declared. They have a huge influx of new people, new customs, new cultures coming in, sitting on their boundary and putting potentially huge stress on their culture, on their sense of place and on the natural systems and communities that exist there. So the challenge is how to integrate those two with that place, the, the natural communities, in a way that you create a healthier, more regenerative, larger system so that the whole begins to move forward. And we're seeing this over and over again, and we suspect this is probably going to be a part of the trend that's happening across the board, in the, certainly in the West and, and possibly in, eventually in the Midwest as well. To pull all this off, then, requires 
a really interesting balance between the skills of your organization and your capabilities as well as the nature of the client and the nature of the project. Is there a right kind of client or right kind of project that you tend to look for when somebody says to you, I need your help? Someone who cares. Yeah, it has to be, uh, for a client to even want to work with us, they have to, first of all, be uh, willing and able to see new potential that comes out of seeing things as living systems, and then be willing to go to work on that. We don't expect our clients to know how to do it or even know what it is at first. But as long as they're willing to grow in that direction, grow in the direction of creating things that are regenerative of of our world and of life, then we can find a way to work with them. Maybe as a final way to pull all of this together as we close our conversation with you folks, we can talk a little bit about a project that you talked to me about during our pre-interview for this, and that involves a rather major resort where on the one hand it's probably the biggest challenge that your organization has ever gone after, and yet as accomplished and in terms of the goals that have been set for it as well as the vision of the developers it sounds like it is an example of what we'd love to see all of us would love to see as the way that developers would be approaching their work for the foreseeable future can you tell us a little bit about how that is going and about the nature of the project it's on the gulf of california on the sea of cortez on a very very extraordinarily beautiful uh, bay next to, as I just mentioned, a, a small traditional community that has been there for some period of time. And they will be, over a period of years, they are planning to build several thousand homes. In addition, the, they have a, a hospitality center and several other amenities along those lines coming up. So if this is a major development. They're also typical of the kind of client that comes to us in that they started with some very clear goals around sustainability. But as Ben mentioned, they were fairly generic goals. We're going to high standard ones, but still generic. We're going to produce more potable water than we consume. We're going to produce more energy than we um, consume. We're going to contribute to the biodiversity of the area uh, and to the economic development. So they already at a higher standard than most of these kinds of resorts do. The problem was the land that they bought had already been master planned by a larger organization agency. And it was master planned across an estuary, a very major estuary system, which was and continues to be absolutely critical to the health of this particular bay. The terrestrial systems, the land systems, are very poor, uh, thin new soils, overgrazed. The marine system is extraordinarily rich. Parts of it have now been named a, a national marine park. But the critical piece for the continuing health of both systems is the health of this estuary, which is the, both the, the means by which nutrients move back and forth between the two systems are transformed in a way that each can utilize them to continue to regenerate their health. And also it's the means of mangrove swamps and so on that for buffering major climatic events, hurricanes, earthquakes, and so on with tsunamis all of which this area is, has been vulnerable to over time. 
So when we looked at this and saw that this master plan was laid out and would have filled in large parts of the estuary, we were fairly horrified. But you have a choice at that point. You can uh, confront a client, as many environmentalists do, and say, you can't do this, and uh, exhort them to do something better. We found that doesn't work very well. So what we set about doing was what is kind of an example of our process in its general structure. We started with what we call an assessment of place. The process involved walking the land with many of their contractors, engineers, managers, and so on who were down there, and beginning to just help them start to see the place in the same way that the family that, that Ben talked about began to see their place as something that was alive, that had its own inner workings, its own aspirations. And then the report sort of brought that together in a, in a more poetic but also a very practical way that said this is what this place is, what it needs to be, this is the source of its health and its future potential. So it had a combination of giving them both a connection at the level of spirit with that place that they'd had in a, they wouldn't have been drawn to it if they hadn't had it, but now it had more form and, and magnetism for them. But it also gave them some very practical guidelines about how they needed to work with it. And so our next step was to say, okay, now given that, what's the purpose for this development in this place? You want to be sustainable. You've set yourself a number of goals. but. Those are generic goals. What about this particular place? And out of that, as a result, we went into a master planning charrette, and they came out of that with a master plan in which they completely revised the, the next two phases of the development that we're, we're going to go over this estuary. And into it essentially became an estuarine system itself, extending and enhancing what was already there rather than running over it and at the same time creating a far more uh, beautiful place where people can experience the ebb and flow of life through these estuarine uh, systems as they, and tributaries as they flow through it. And one of the things that they now see themselves as doing and can begin to make more concrete their goals is they are actually working to regenerate both the terrestrial system and, the, and sustain the health of the marine system through the way they've placed themselves in that landscape and the way that development is going to operate. Well, it's a wonderful story. Good luck with the project. Good luck with Regenesis. And thanks again for joining us this week on Stranova. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Brad. This has really been fun to talk with you and share some of our thoughts, and we appreciate it. Truly inspiring what the Regenesis Group has created, isn't it? And their whole concept of their business, as well as how they are approaching the change that they are making in the world. So the question then comes up, how does that relate to your business? Well, even if you don't necessarily have real estuaries and fire breaks to consider, I can assure you, you at least have metaphorical ones somewhere in your business ecosystem. So, just as the Regenesis Group looks into systems as varied as the underlying geophysical structures, archaeological artifacts, and even evolutionary trajectories of the wildlife in the sites they are evaluating, as you plan your next ventures, you too need to look into underlying alliances and natural linkages between business partners, why past approaches to similar ideas came out as they did, and what the evolutionary trends are for all the organisms in your business ecosystem, before you even set foot into new terrains. It is complex work, 
but just as for Regenesis when they research and plan their amazing projects, yours can only be successful, transformational, and genuinely regenerative for your business if you truly do the systemic planning work in a thorough way. That's my reflection for this week, and thanks for listening. For further information on the topics discussed in this week's show, as well as for other information on the intersection of strategy and innovation, please visit us at www.stranova.com. Also, if you have any comments on this week's show or suggestions for future shows, please feel free to contact us at ideas at This recording is copyright 2005 by Brad Redderson. And this is Brad Redderson thanking all of you for joining us this week on Stranova. <laughs>